Hello and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast, a podcast that brings a variety of voices from the sporting world and beyond to discuss disability subject matters in the realm of sport. My name is Liam Bird and I am the fan liaison officer at Level Playing Field. And for this month's episode, we will be discussing the subject matter of disability language. I say we because in this episode, I am joined in a roundtable discussion with my colleague at Level Playing Field, Nikki Baker, as well as Warren Carwan from the disability charity Scope, Izzy Robbins from CAFE, also known as the Centre to Access to Football in Europe, joins us, and finally, a multi-medal winning Paralympian star, as well as the Secretary of Newcastle United Disabled Support Association and Level Playing Field Ambassador, Stephen Miller. Before we start this episode, I want to state that we may use some language that some may find offensive when describing disability terminology from old, so please bear that in mind when listening. Our chat takes place via Zoom, and with all things technology, there are a couple of audio issues. And I apologize in advance, but sadly, technology will do what technology wants to do. So please enjoy episode 7 of the Level Playing Field podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me in this roundtable chat. Before we crack on, I'll go around the Zoom screen and invite the people who are on this panel to name themselves and say what organisation you are a part of, just so the listeners can get the uh, name attached to the voice. So I'm going to start on my top left of my Zoom screen and I'll go to you, Nikki. Hi, I'm Nikki Baker. I'm the Disability Access Officer for Level Playing Field. Next up, Izzy. Hi, I'm Izzy Robbins. Um, I'm from the Centre for Access to Football in Europe or CAFE for sure. Stephen. Hi, I'm Stephen Miller. I'm I'm And next up, Warren. Hi, I'm Warren Kerwin. I am the media manager at the Disability Equality Charity Scope. Thank you, everyone, for doing that. So we're going to have a chat regarding disability language. It's an ever-changing subject matter and in some cases contentious. As we know, sport can be a driving force for change. So how language is used in sport can have a lasting impact. Uh, this is a sport podcast that focuses on disability access and inclusion. But in today's episode, there might be times where we might move into a world that's a little bit away from sport and talk a bit more general. Uh, I want to stress that we will not cover every aspect of disability language as we only have 45 minutes. So this is a topic that we'll probably pick up again in future podcasts. But let's start with what I guess is an obvious question. And I'm going to come to you first, Izzy. Why is it important that we as a society use the correct language when talking about disability? Uh, Yeah, so it's really important to use appropriate terminology to make sure you're not contributing to negative stereotyping and that you're also empowering disabled people. So from CAFE's perspective, as an accessibility organisation, for us, we use social model terminology, which looks at disabled people being literally disabled by societies in accessibility rather than their individual diagnosis. And this puts pressure on organisations and in our case football clubs to address those barriers for disabled people. So language here is really important because it has to reinforce this message. For example, we would use um, access requirements rather than special needs because access requirements are a reasonable adjustment a disabled person needs to access a stadium and have an equal experience to non-disabled fans. So that could be something like a blind person needing to bring their guide dog so that they can um, navigate around the stadium. This isn't a special need 
its fundamental requirement for them to overcome the barriers that they face. So using that kind of terminology, access requirements rather than special needs, is makes it normal. It's a normal thing to provide a reasonable adjustment for a disabled fan. It's not a special request or something exceptional that you need to do. It's just an everyday part of offering a match day experience. So kind of to touch on this, the social model aspect of it, uh, and I'm going to say some words that people might find offensive with like the word cripple or deaf, mute, lame and handicapped. I mean, these are words that have now been replaced with more a disability positive language, changing from the medical model model to the uh, social model. Nikki, can you explain a little bit more in depth about the difference between the two? Yes. Yeah, so Izzy already touched on it, but the medical model really sees that the disabled person as the problem and that they need to be fixed almost. When I say fixed, I say it in inverted commas, whereas the social model, say it is society and the buildings or the barriers that create a problem. So I'm a wheelchair user myself. So I'll give an example. So the medical model would say, I need to be fixed to walk upstairs. The social model would say the building needs to be fixed so I can have access to what's going on up those stairs. And it's not necessarily always a lift. It could be in terms of reasonable adjustment. It could be that the activity that I want to access up those stairs is moved to a downstairs room. And it's like that terminology that, um, that actually Scope uses as well, uses a social model because that's what disabled people told us we, we should use. But actually, if you think about some of the, the language, take Nikki's example, she used the term wheelchair user. The alternative that came before wheelchair bound was just plain wrong as well as, well as offensive. You might go swimming, Nikki. You wouldn't go with it attached to your wheelchair, would you? Because that would just be ridiculous. It reinforces concepts that are just, just wrong as well. And I think as well, the term wheelchair bound is so negative as well, as many wheelchair users now see their wheelchair as an enabling tool or device to give them freedom and independence, not something that they're bound to. Because by that same logic, I would be trainer bound because I wear my trainers out on the street. Yeah. Warren, so as you kind of announced that you work at Scope, Scope was founded in 1952 and back then it was known as the National Spastic Society and uh, cerebral palsy charity in 94 the charity changed its name to scope i'm going to guess that you weren't there back in 94 i don't know uh, you may be but i'm guessing it was the first time <laughs> that really on on a, on a national scale like disability language was in the public sphere whereabouts to really like, absolutely yeah cause it, cause, i i mean i i'm not going to age myself and pretend that i i remember the name change as a society Name changes never go well. I, I'm 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 still angry about opal fruits changing to uh what is it fruit pastel? I can't remember what they are now. But opal fruits will always be opal fruits to me. So Starburst, isn't it? Starburst, that's it. So I mean, some people just don't like language change. But I think it was a great lesson to be learned regarding how disability language can change and how scope were kind of at the forefront of of bringing that about. I mean, can you touch a little bit more yeah. on that? Well, I think the, the change came from a very simple place. Actually, the term spastic become a term of abuse. It was used quite commonly in the in the playground. It, it got to the point where it's more of a, a, a hindrance to, to disabled people's lives, that, that, that term. And we were reinforcing a massive neg- negative stereotype by being called the Spastic Society. As, it, as terms change over time, was was probably more acceptable in 1950s in terms of those times. But by the time we get to 1994, that's not acceptable. That's not the way people want to live their lives. And it doesn't represent 
uh, how disabled people should be viewed within society. We went through a process and we changed our name to Scope. Now that brings up issues for the charity as well because like you have less recognition of who you are, what you stand for, and how that how people recognise you. But it's right the name changed because actually like society was changing, and it's right that Scope should change it and actually try and lead that change as well. How do you use language and what labels you put on people is really important. And like Warren said, that can change over time. Um, words become stigmatized by uh, abuse and by people misusing them, you know. That's when, yeah, they can become very negative. And, and yeah, it's happened a lot in my experience um, growing up in the 90s and the 80s. I went through a period where the word spastic became very stigmatized and um, was a word that caused a lot of um, trauma for a lot of people. I mean, for me, I think it's really about um, just educating people on when it comes to using using medical medical terms, I guess, it's something that's always happened. Throughout history, really, um, yeah, and I think now more well and more well the damage it can really do to people. Like, at the end of the day, it's like a form of bullying, really. It's like um, verbal bullying there, the people use these words to make people feel bad about themselves. Yeah, that's what it's really about. And especially in my experience, there's Paralympic athletes. How the public perceives you and looks at you is really important. And, and we, I've always had a struggle to try and be, be seen not as a disabled athlete, but just as an athlete, you know, who, who trains, trains very hard, works very hard, is very dedicated, um, and performs to a high level. And it's always been a bit of a struggle to break that barrier and not be just seen as a disabled person who does sport. And again, when it comes to football, again, there's, they tend to group people together as like disabled supporters. And yeah, there's, within that group, there's so many different people, different different needs, different interests, you know, and, and yeah, language, using generalistic language to put people together in groups is pretty dangerous. I mean, this might get you into trouble, Stephen, but I'm interested now. How do you feel about the terminology of Paralympian then? Like, would you like the Olympics just be called the Olympics and not separate the two? No, I think I, I like the separation of the Olympics and the Paralympics because I think, yes, it is a very different thing. And I think if the Olympics became one thing which included disability sport, I think Paralympic sport would get lost within that. So I think there is there is a rule for and segregation, whatever you call it, I think there is a, a part to play in society. But like anything, it's getting the balance right. It's really important. 
So this isn't just kind of a, a subject matter that's in this country, easy. I'm kind of interested as as an as Cafe is kind of an organisation that is is about uh, disability access and inclusion globally. Language is used obviously different globally. So the one that I think is is probably the most obvious one is Special Olympics in America. But using that term probably well isn't appropriate in the UK. I mean, how do you deal with different language barriers globally? Yeah, so the UK is kind of unique in using disabled people um, rather than people with disabilities. Um, And I think that's because of disability activism um, and the social model approach and the fact that our language lends itself to disabled being used as an adjective in front of people. Whereas in the other countries that we work in, that's not always possible in the language itself. But that doesn't mean that people aren't working from that same perspective. Our working language is English, so we use disabled people. But an organisation using people with disabilities in French or German doesn't mean that they don't have the same objectives as, as us. So in that case, I think the most important thing is that you're working from this perspective that disability is something imposed on disabled people through the barriers that they face as a result of an inaccessible society and terminology is important but the most important thing is that yeah that's the perspective that they're working from and we shouldn't disregard what they have to say because of the terminology they're using so on this podcast warren the subject matter of intent has come up when someone has not purposely used incorrect language as a way to be abusive I believe Scope did a survey back in 2016 that stated that two-thirds of non-disabled people that you survey admitted to feeling awkward around disability. And I'm guessing that comes from the idea of intent. Uh, They don't mean to insult. So how can we educate non-disabled people without alienating them? Yeah, I think it's uh, important to look at where that bit of research we did came from because when we talked to people in a bit more detail, we found that, that, that that way of thinking about disability came from a place of awkwardness. It didn't come, tend to come from a place of wanting to put somebody down or treat somebody like other. It was that classic British bit of awkwardness. Oh, I'm not sure what to do in this situation. What should I do? Or oh, I might just look at the person funny. Or oh, I might walk away. I might not say anything. I might not engage. I think the way to break down that type of barrier is actually to tell people, don't be awkward. If you're unsure what to do, ask the disabled person you're talking to or, or ask somebody you're talking to. And they will be the expert in their situation. They will understand how they've uh, lived their lives, what language they use, how they like to be described, how they like to be talked to. At the end of the day, just another human being you can you can interact with. And it's that kind of familiarity that helps to break down barriers. I think that's the way that's the way forward. And going back to, to, to some of the language we had earlier, and back to the, uh, Izzy's point, is that like language is, is fundamentally important. Like it's it's like we would we would never we would never group disabled people together as the disabled. We wouldn't. And some but some people still tend to do that and we won't do it we don't do the women we tend to break people down into, into smaller groups and give and give people the individualness that they everyone an individual person deserves and i think that's one thing how, how language is important but ultimately i think it comes down to getting to know somebody overcoming that awkwardness taking a chance going up and saying hello i think these are th- these are very simple things that a lot of people can do yeah i think it's really important the awkwardness as Warren mentioned, is just not to feel awkward. And as a disabled person myself, I would much rather someone spoke to me and asked me, say, how I prefer to be described, rather than making assumptions or trying to guess, or actually even worse, 
just ignoring me altogether. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think if you, there's two kind of things going on. It's like we did a bit of, another bit of research a little, a little bit after that that looked at like a match day experience of, of disabled people. And we found about about 40% have negative attitudes. So if you put that together, which is just wrong with people being awkward and actually like someone just wants to go along to, to, a, to a football match or go along to a sporting event and just enjoy it. It, it, can, it can possibly quite be quite a bit of a minefield just from, you know, we've got one, abuse on one side and awkwardness on the other. Actually, all, all somebody's trying to do is go and w- watch a football match or just go and enjoy something that everyone else can do. And I think it's where language does get important because that's, that's the thing that kind of dictates what we think and how we act about other things, other people in society. If we, if we get that right, we can start changing the picture of how we I- interact and how we work as a society. So back in April, the disability charity Leonard Cheshire launched a campaign called Words Hurt. It was a campaign where they invited people to look at how words can affect a disabled person and suggested that previously acceptable terms be reviewed, like you've kind of mentioned it there, Warren, the disabled or the blind. The charity suggested that visually impaired may be better in some circumstances rather than the catch-all term of blind, particularly after considering around 80% of people with sight loss have some vision. This campaign seemed to trigger some media organisations and uh, commentators who jumped on the campaign and deemed it wokeism and lambasted the charity for being the language police. So my question to the panel really is quite simple. How do we have a conversation about disability language in a section of society that don't seem to want to listen or talk? I think we just have to start the conversation and just try to keep going where possible and get allies on our side and work with people who aren't currently allies to try making them our allies around language. Obviously, there's people say there's wokeism about lots of different language sectors in race, for example, but there's still language in race that we all know is no longer acceptable that would have been acceptable 30 or so years ago. So it's just educating people that times have moved on with disability as well. I'd also um, say we don't necessarily have to have an explicit conversation. I think Level Playing Field, Cafe, Scope have a responsibility to educate sports media and broadcasting as well as club media and communications so that the language that they're using when they're talking about athletes that are disabled or disabled sports fans is accurate, acceptable terminology informed by disabled people's movements. And if people that aren't interested in this and are hard to reach groups are seeing this language, it normalises it and it's less of a shock when someone like Leonard Cheshire calls out the disabled as an inaccurate term. I see that used constantly across major news websites every time they run a story about disabled people in a sporting or non-sporting capacity. That has to start with the the language and terminology used by sports organisations and sports media. So one of the news organisations that covered the word hurt campaign negatively was the Daily Mail. As usual, the comment section was, let's say, uh, interesting. I'm going to read off a couple from the 903 comments that was on that story. Uh, So some of the comments that were stated were, these people are looking to offend is pathetic. Stupid people, how much more pretentious can you be than to believe that it is up to you to rewrite the English language? Why would a person not accept the term for disability he or she suffers from? This carries on from January this year when Sky Sports News ran a story on Twitter regarding colorblind or color vision deficient supporters who struggled to tell apart a game between Man United and Liverpool due to a kit clash 
And again, I'm just going to read out some of the comments. So now we have to cater for colorblind people with football strips so as not to upset them. This is getting our hands. What's next? Every day someone or a group is offended. Maybe the fact that they're colorblind is the problem, not the club issue. This follows on a few weekends back when the sporting world turned off social media to raise awareness on online abuse. Much of the media attention was focused on racial abuse directly towards football players. Still, there's an issue regarding online abuse on social media and in newspaper comments I've just read. Uh, Question to everyone. uh, What would you say to the people who have made these comments online? And what role does social media and traditional media have to play in either improving language around disability or stopping unhelpful terminology? Anyone want to jump into that? I think... Traditional media has a massive part to play, just in just in the way they write headlines. Not literally by not having the term the disabled, they would never put the term the blacks in. So they were what we want to get to is a point where they have the same the same uh, thought process around disabled people and disability. I, I think with social media, I think when the very uh, still in the earliest days of social media, we're still in a little bit of a wild west situation where you will get a very vocal minority who just hurl abuse and be and almost react to almost anything you say, regardless to any minority across uh, across the board. So I think we need to take some of that, but then it's about influencing the sensible commentators and asking them to use the right language in the right way to try to normalise that kind of behaviour with the rest of society. It's a tough one, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. The thing is mentioned before about the real challenge that um, we have and organisations have is to generate positive language, turn it into positive, because I think because the, the language becomes negative, that's when it can be weaponized, and it's very hard to weaponize positive language. The more we can generate positive language, positive conversations, around disability, then the harder it is to turn that into abuse. That's really what you see on social media now. And, and, you know, a lot of the abuse on social media is just people who are doing it to the lack. They're, they're cowards because they don't know who they are. And, yeah, they're just doing it to get attention just because they can't do it and, and they know they're going to get a reaction and never particularly get offended by language itself. I get offended by the words used by by its direction more than the actual words. The way language is used and the intention behind it, that's what really causes offense. Because at the end of the the day, a word is just a word, it's just a noise. It's how we interpret that noise and the emotions it causes within us. That's what causes the pain and the hurt. It's really about digging deep into how we can can change the, the whole ethos around the language that describes disability. A word that gets thrown around in sport massively now is another word that can go in the bin for me, and that's banter. I hate the word banter. And I I think the idea of using inappropriate language gets, especially, I think, in football, gets hidden behind, oh, it's just banter, mate, it's just banter. 
I mean, how do we eradicate that on the stands? Because that, I think that's a huge part of of kind of talking about language. Because you're a brave person if you confront someone on the terrace and say, "No, that's inappropriate. Don't do that." Because either you're going to get a mouthful of abuse, or they're just going to turn around and just go, "I'm just joking, mate. It's just banter." Yeah. I mean, how do we get past that? It's like a very different thing between two. Two people talking one one who know each other very well and know how they can communicate with each other in a positive way. And you know, I have conversations with friends with my now and again using a poker language, but because we know each other very well and we have that relationship, we can do that. Now, doing that in a public setting. Is not probably, you know, and when you're doing it with people who you don't know, might not like that kind of language. That's a big problem. It's really about educating people about how how to communicate effectively and appropriately. I think one of the other problems with banter is it might be between two people, but if it's done in a public space, people, other people may hear it and may then think. I heard that disabled person use that language about themselves, so it is okay for me to use it about a group of disabled people. When actually, it's just because of their relationship with that person. And if anybody else was to use it about them, they would also they would actually be offended by it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Knowing in the past of group groups of disabled people were can. Talk about yourselves in a particular way and use words like uh, cribbles or cribs, you know, and they think it's okay to talk about yourselves in that way. Yeah, it might be fine, but then, like you say, Nikki, other people might pick that up and say, oh, well, yeah, that's acceptable to describe somebody who's paraplegic as a cripple, and it's not. Nikki, how, how counterproductive is it then for disabled people to use inappropriate or incorrect terminology, even away from banter? So I, for instance, know some disabled supporters who still use the disabled when they're talking about like the Disabled Supporters Association. As a non-disabled person, I am not going to correct them because I don't feel I will feel a bit inappropriate telling a disabled person how to talk about disability. Like that, that is the most white privilege male thing I could probably ever do. How counterproductive it is it for disabled people to not use the correct terminology? I think it can be counterproductive, but as many people actually acquire a disability during their adult life, many people have been built up on the medical model and say may not understand even the language that they're using themselves. And so I think it's really important that we also educate disabled people as well in the nicest possible way and the most appropriate way to do it when we hear in a inappropriate language because also particularly you Liam you're saying if they're representing disabled supporters associations they might then be talking to the club and they think oh that disabled person is using that language who's representing a disabled supporters association so it is now okay for the club to then use that language and then it so then it could become very counterproductive the education we do around language and etiquette and what is and isn't appropriate. Obviously, language does change over time as well. That's the other thing to bear in mind because of 
as we have mentioned already, Skype changed their name. And there's many words that have changed over time or no longer become acceptable. I sometimes would maybe paraphrase what they've said to me, but with the correct terminology in, because if you don't also want the person to feel attacked or belittled by you correcting their language, particularly if it's about themselves. Even as a disabled person myself, who am I to tell someone how they can self-identify and what language they should use about themselves? That's nobody's place to do that. (laughs) But if they are then representing other disabled people, then I think it's very important to educate people. This is kind of a question really then for Nikki, Izzy and Warren then. As organisations that we represent, how do we go about universally using the same terminology? So, for instance... One of the big ones at the moment is you've, you've kind of touched on it earlier, Izzy, is a disabled person or person with disability. Also, invisible disability and hidden disability is another terminology if you want to talk about quite recent uh, terminology changing. I mean, how as a collective do we go about making sure that we're using the same universal language, even though we might not work in the same realms of uh, disability access and inclusion i think it's for us it's important that we talk to each other and understand why language has changed and understand why a previous terminology that was terminology acceptable terminology has no longer become acceptable terminology and the understanding the reasoning behind that and sharing that learning amongst each other and speaking to each other and asking each other questions and also challenging each other where appropriate as well and saying, but why is that more appropriate than previous terminology? Can you explain why and explaining why it fits in better with the social model? I think we have them over time as well, don't we? I think language changes evolves slowly and evolves over time. Over the years, a lot of people I've worked with will use the term able-bodied rather than non-disabled person. Now, the disability movement tells us we should use non-disabled person, but most people don't define who they are by what they're not. And, and so a lot of disabled people have used the term with disabilities or, 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 or able-bodied. But as an organisation, when it comes to I'm here representing scope, then I should use the language that the, the, the disabled people's movement has said that this is what we should use and this is how we should be represented. To, to kind of second that, I think cafes work in Scotland and Northern Ireland, you know, aligns with working under the UK banner with LPF and scope. And actually, as organisations, we should kind of all be using very similar terminology because our sources should be the same, which is the disabled people's movement in the countries that we're working in. Actually, if I see an organisation that's UK based, that's using very outdated terminology, I find that quite shocking because it doesn't make me feel like they're an authority on, on disability because they've not consulted disabled people. And obviously not every disabled person in the UK does align themselves with the social model or uses disabled person to refer to themselves. But as a collective movement, that's been the terminology preference for quite a long time now. Yeah, so I think it's about reflecting the disabled people's movement and what actual disabled people want, not parents of disabled people, um, support staff or carers of disabled people or PAs, and also not medical professionals as organisations supporting and empowering disabled people we should be informed by disabled people and since we're working in the same context 
that should result really in us having very similar terminology. Warren, where can people actually go online if they want to find out more about disability language and not causing offence? campaign we ran from 2016 for, for, for three years called In the Awkward. That has loads of resources, lots and lots of resources about um, about language, um, about what to do if you find yourself in an awkward situation. And that, all you have to do is Google In the Awkward for that. Our, our colleagues at, at Leonard Cheshire, they are running a campaign on language at the moment so you can probably check out their websites they're probably two very good places to start i'm going to plug level playing field we're also doing something on language uh, uh, daniel will kill me if i don't say something so uh, there you go check out the website soon enough and um, there might Absolutely. be people- check that out as well <laughs> I'll, I'll just edit cafe. that one. and cafe, and yeah. cafe. And so let's get Everyone. this right we check out scope the cheshire cafe and level playing field there you go <laughs> there might be people who have been listening to this and are now so scared about causing offence. How do we avoid that happening? I think the really important thing is just to engage with disabled people and not be scared. Disabled people are people. (laughs) It's an important thing to remember. Um, I think often it's about the intention. Providing someone's not meaning to cause offence, then most disabled people won't take offence and may just correct the language or just say I'd prefer it if you didn't refer to me in that particular way or in the future can you use this language but I think the most important thing is to not be scared don't let language scare people and just talk to people this question is a final question and I think it's kind of really the question what can we on this podcast and the people listening and even people not listening do to impact the positivity of using correct disability language i mean what can we do long term short term or is it what we're doing now definitely what we're doing now but also i think it's about making sure the terminology that you're using whoever you are disabled non-disabled representing an organization or not is as accurate and reflects disabled people's preferences as much as you can so that doesn't always have to be explicit if you're chatting with someone and they say person with a disability or something like that you would just say oh disabled people this kind of as Nikki was saying earlier you sort of paraphrase back to them using appropriate terminology but it's also about challenging disability slurs because I find it's so normalized to use words like spastic as an offensive term and people somehow don't seem to realize that that's equivalent to using gay as an offensive term or the n-word it's it's the similar yeah it's the same thing disabled people non-disabled people but particularly non-disabled people need to call people out when they're using these really offensive terms because it's not acceptable that they're so commonplace in society terms that are less charged like people with disabilities i think a slightly more subtle approach is maybe the best way forward because the way that society is at the minute the newspapers love to make a song and dance about terminology and a bit of a difficult thing to navigate with people. So challenge the offensive terms, slowly introduce people to the to the more acceptable, um, less offensive terminology. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the key thing, and Nikki said it as well, is about the intention of language, what the intent is. For the people that are genuinely interested in your your condition, impairment, whatever it is, if the genuine want to get to know you and understand more about your life and get to know what uh, what, 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 what challenges you have to overcome and stuff like that, I think that's perfectly okay, you know. And if the people accidentally use the wrong language, then yeah, you can, you can educate them by having the conversation. So I think... 
being aware of the intention behind language is really important. And then, like as you said, if the intention is to offend, then yes, call that out. Um, yeah, make people feel that that is unacceptable and it's not right. If the intention is to understand and know more about disability, then that's fine. Just correct people. Tell people that, you know what, that, that word isn't really um, appropriate. This would be a better word to use. Because some people genuinely don't know, you know, and yeah, without having these conversations, people just continue to be scared about saying the wrong thing and then, yeah, they just avoid the subject, avoid talking to disabled people. People, that's, that's not what we want. We want people to be open and soft to the subject. Um, and that's how we move forward, by creating that positive dialogue and breaking down the barriers that make people scared about disability. That's it. Thank you, Nikki, Izzy, Stephen and Warren for joining me. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Sam. I hope you found that chat insightful and we will be coming back to disability language again, I'm sure, in the near future. Thank you to all my guests and you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to past episodes. And if you are a regular to the podcast, please go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find said podcast. We will be back next month uh, when my guest will be Paralympic legend and now politician Tani Gray-Thompson. Until then, bye-bye.